All right, quick question. How many of you were here last week? Okay, how many of you were not here last week? Oh, wow, we got about half and half. I'm going to start with the same verse, um, but it'll be different, I promise. Um, Proverbs chapter 11, uh, verse 30 says, He who wins souls is wise. And we talked about that last week. We were talking about um, the wisdom of winning souls and how God has, has a system by which he models uh, his, his supernatural activity, his, his touch, and then, then we are those models. Um, how many of you want to lead someone to the Lord? How many of you want to win a soul? Matthew chapter 10, verse 16 and 17 says, Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Therefore, be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. So we're going to talk about this again today. We're going to talk about winning the lost. And today I want to focus on a particular group of lost. And I'm going to talk a little bit about winning those who are closest to us. How many of you have family members, perhaps, that have not yet made a decision to follow Christ. Now, has anybody ever had this thought when there is, there is somebody who's in your life and you really, you know, you want them to, to, to come to know Christ and then you see uh, whatever, you, you see a evangelist who's preaching in a big campaign and he says, who wants to get saved? And like thousands of people are raising their hands and they're walking up and you're like, why isn't it that easy for me? And, and, and we see that, I can remember going over on missions trips and, and when, when I was growing up at age 11, I started taking mission trips every single summer. In fact, when I, well, when I was 11, my parents actually called up a pastor in Mexico and said, we're sending him down on a plane on such and such a day. He goes down this day, he leaves two and a half weeks later, put him with somebody in your church who doesn't speak English. And I went. I, I remember being nervous taking the flight from Grand Rapids to Chicago. And then I waited for, the, they had like a stewardess who was going to help me find my connection and she took forever. And I'm like, but it says, you know, I've arrived at G10 and I have to get to G17. It's pretty simple. I see the maps everywhere. She helped me out. After that, I just went. And every summer since I was 11, I would go on mission trips. And I went um, sometimes with just people that, that our church supported, uh, missionaries, churches, places that my parents had been or that this church had impact. Sometimes I went with, with youth groups. And, and I remember going to all of these places and we would evangelize and, and every day we would be leading people to the Lord. And, and I remember thinking, well, why isn't it the same with the people who are close to me? And, and I, want to, I want to address that. John chapter 4 Verse 38 says this. It says, I sent you to reap that on which you bestowed no labor. Other men labored, and you have entered into their labor. And many of the Samaritans of that city believed upon him because of the saying of the woman who testified, he told me all that I ever did. It's interesting what he says there. He's talking to someone who did that. 
He's talking to a preacher who walked in and said, how many of you want to get saved? And a bunch of people said, yeah, that's me. And they came up. He said, you reaped something for which you didn't labor. Someone else did the labor and you entered into it. And, and I want to talk about that. We, we, will have, we will have both of those opportunities. There will be times when you and I will be the ones who get to, to, to just walk right in and pluck the fruit right off the tree. But there's other times when it falls to us to labor. To labor. And, and to be honest, I'm just going to say this once. As a preacher, I steal people's labor all the time. When I stand up here and give an altar call and somebody comes down, that is not a testament to the labor that, that I personally put in. That's a testament to the work of the Holy Spirit that's been in them, to the work that somebody like you did walking out a Christian life in front of them possibly for decades. Possibly decades long. How many of you, when I say the Romans road, know what I'm talking about? How many of you are wondering where the Romans road is? Don't know. The Romans road is a reference to what is one of the simplest ways to present the gospel in the book of Romans. And if you're, if you're taking notes, I want you to take notes on this because this is one of the past. I want to I compare and contrast the person who walks all the way through the Romans road and, and the other. We as Christians should understand the concepts behind salvation. In Romans chapter 3, 23, it says, we, it says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. One of the first concepts that a person needs in order to be able to understand that, that they need Jesus is to understand that without him, they fall short. They're a sinner. That's Romans chapter 3, verse 23. We're all sinners by both nature and by choice. Next is Romans 6, 23. It says, we receive eternal life as a free gift. This verse says, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Romans chapter 6, 23. We just need to have familiar, uh, be familiar with the concept that salvation is, is a gift. How many of you recognize you don't buy gifts for yourself? For, for, you, know, <laughs> you get that. I buy them for my kids all the time. But when it's a gift given to me, I didn't purchase it. If I purchased it, it wasn't a gift. And that's an important step for, for, for people to realize. That the Bible tells us that it is a gift from God that comes from Him. Romans chapter 5, verse 8 if you're taking notes, says, but God demonstrated his love towards us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It is so important to know that Jesus died on the cross for you and I and that he did that even before 
we had asked forgiveness before we had repented. When we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 10, 9, and 10 is the next one. It says that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with the heart that you believe and are justified. And it is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. What are you saved from? We need to understand, the Bible says we need to be able to give an answer to those who ask about the hope that is in us. We need to understand that we are saved from the sin that separated us from God, the sin that each and every one of us is guilty of, just there in that first uh, verse I, I read there in Romans. And then lastly, the confidence that if we ask for forgiveness, he will give it, is in Romans 10, verse 13. It says, for whoever shall call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Now, that's it. That, in a nutshell, is what you and I, the, the concept we need to be familiar with in order to lead someone to the Lord. That didn't take very long, how many of you realize? In fact, you can memorize this, and I recommend that you do, that you, you, you purposely plan to comprehend and understand those, to be able to give that out. But let me tell you something. If you don't remember... How many of you carry a, a, a phone with you most places that you go? How many of you had, does it have like a search button, Bing or Google? Really quick. The Romans Road. You, you, you do that, you'll have an image in point something seconds with those scriptures and those points that fast. That fast. See... I want, I want you to feel confident knowing you've got what that takes. Now, let's go back to 1 Peter, 1 Peter 3, 1 through 5. And I talked about winning the person closest to you. When you're dealing with someone who is, is ready, what they need to understand is that Romans road. When they're ready. I, I shared last week the story about um, the Australian that I met when I was in, in Paris. And he just asked me, he said, what do you believe about God? And in three minutes' time, I explained to him the concepts behind the Romans. Hey, I believe God made everything. I believe that he wanted a relationship with us, but we all sinned, etc. Just real quick. And, and he was shocked. Now, that person was ready. But the people next to us, how many of you realize that family member that you are thinking about probably isn't going to be won over by a graphic of the Romans road? <laughs> uh, you guys, you know, you said you were going to help me out with Uncle Tom. I don't think he's going to be so interested in the Romans road. And that's true. Hear what it says in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 1 through 5. Likewise, wives, be in submission to your own husbands, so that if any of you do not obey, or uh, if any, being any of the husbands, do not obey the word, meaning they're not a believer, they may be also one 
without a word or without the word. See, the Bible here is talking to wives who are trying to win their husbands. How many realize that's somebody close to you? Do you realize God didn't say, wives who are trying to win your husbands, people who are trying to win the person close to you, hit them with the Romans road. Hit them with a whole bunch of doctrine, a big long list of scriptures, and you will, you will surely win them over. No, he says this. He says, win them over without the word by the conduct of the wives, having witnessed your chaste behavior in the fear of, in the fear of God, of whom let not the adorning of garments or outward braiding of hair or wearing of gold or putting out of clothing, but let it be the hidden man of the heart in that which is not corruptible, the meek and quiet spirit, which is of great price in the sight of God. See, I believe this scripture gives us more insight than just wives trying to win a husband. I believe this applies to husbands trying to win a wife. I believe this applies to brothers trying to win a sister, sisters trying to win a brother, children trying to win a parent, parent trying to win their adult children. When, when we are trying to win someone who is close to us, Scripture doesn't say hit them with the Romans road. It says win them without words. Win them with your conduct. If I, I like this, this story of, a, of, a, of engraving that allegedly was on a tombstone. It said this. When I was young, I set out to change the world, and I soon realized how great that task was and resolved to settle for changing my country. Years went by, and my goal was still so far from my reach, I decided to try to change only my city. Then I reduced to changing my family. Now as I lay on my deathbed, I realized that if I had begun by resolving to change myself, I would have surely influenced my family. My family would have likely influenced my city. My city may have influenced my country, and only then could I perhaps have changed the world. We're going to start with what's inside of us. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 12 says, Having your conversation honest among Gentiles, that whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works, which they shall behold, glorify God in the day of visitation. Another translation says it this way. It says, having your conduct honest among the nations, in that which they speak against you as evildoers, they may glorify God in the day of his salvation, seeing your good works. I want you to think for a second and, and try to find an example when you remember someone exemplifying godly character. And I'm going to give you an example of, of someone, um, Benancio. Benancio was uh, a, a, an indigenous man. He was part of the Otomi Indian group, and, and he lived in Hidalgo, Mexico. And uh, his story is pretty, pretty interesting. He, he originally, when he sought uh, God, he originally went to witchcraft. And first, someone introduced him to witchcraft, 
And then somebody came and introduced him to the Bible, and he thought, well, I'm going to prove that wrong. And he got into the Bible, and he realized that it was proving him wrong. And he decided to follow God and, and reached out and, and started hundreds of churches and was responsible uh, by the, the estimates of the Wycliffe Bible translators. He was responsible for the gospel reaching over a quarter million people 20 years before he died. And he kept going. Now, here's a story about him and, and, and a gentleman who was here in our church. They were driving down the road. Um, they had been to a village. They had tried to preach the gospel there. And there was a group of people there who didn't like what they were doing. And so they had been shouted at all kinds of things like that, tried to get run out of town. They packed up their things. They're driving down the one road that left this village. And the, the, we call it a road, but that's a pretty generous description. What it is is a bulldozer track where a bulldozer had previously gone and just pushed things out of the way and left a, a once-upon-a-time flat surface where, you know, they're going through and it makes potholes and whatnot. So they're going down this, and it's cut into the side of a mountain because there's nothing flat. There. So they're driving on this one lane, one road, one way in, one way out. And as they're driving along, one of the people who tried to run them out of town took a huge rock, hid in the darkness behind a tree, and chucked it through the side window of his car, busted the window, and hit him in the face. And Rick, who was driving, just was in shock. You know, he, he didn't know what to do. I mean, he's just like, whoa, I'm driving along. All of a sudden, this big old rock comes flying through the window, shatters the glass, hits Benancio in the face. Benancio turns to him and says, let's pray for the man who just threw that rock. How many of you were expecting to say that? <laughs> no, we weren't. We weren't. See, that kind of behavior exemplifies godly character. When we see behavior that's outside of our expectation, it glorifies God. See, when, when, when you and I are at work and we hit our thumb with a hammer, what is everyone expecting? You know, what are they expecting? They're, they're expecting a blue streak of cuss words. They're expecting us to respond the same way. If we get treated badly, I don't think many of us are, are likely to get a rock thrown through our car window. But when, when something happens, that response that we have, those are the moments when we win people to Christ. I, I think of another story that really exemplifies that type of behavior was, was um, a friend of mine went before Mother Teresa had, had uh, passed away um, and visited her orphanage in, in Calcutta. And she's the one that told me this story, but I don't think she was there when it happened. Um, but she said that there was a group of tourists who had come, 
and they were checking this place out, and, and uh, this was a clinic where they would bring in just anybody who was needy, and there was a man who was there, a crippled man who had open sores that were infected and, and, and just really oozing and smelly and just very, very, very unappealing. And um, this man was there, and Mother Teresa was personally tending to the, to the wounds. And one of the tourists says, I, you, I wouldn't do that for a million dollars. Mother Teresa, without looking up, just said, neither would I. Just kept going. You see, when, when we do things different, that it, it shows. Matthew chapter 12, 34 through 35 says this. It says, offspring of vipers, how can you being evil speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. A good man out of the good treasure in his heart brings out good things. And an evil man out of the evil treasure brings out evil things. This is how my mom explained this verse to me when I was growing up. She said, we are a sponge. Say that with me. Say, I'm a sponge. What happens when you have a sponge and you squeeze it? Whatever's inside comes out. I love those little sponges with like the, the kind of rough plastic cover that you can put some soap on and you wash dishes and like I'm always amazed at how many dishes I can wash and still get more soap out of the sponge every time I squeeze it. How many of you guys do that? Yeah, man. Like, I just keep squeezing and it just keeps coming out with, with more soap and I'm like, hey, this is cool. You know, and I... Because it's in there and whatever's in there comes out. The Bible says that out of the treasure that's in your heart, your mouth speaks. See, this is the thing. We can't make a plan for how to surprise people with godly character. It doesn't work. If you plan it out, it, it, it's, it's going to fail. What we have to do is fill our hearts, be that sponge. Fill ourselves with godly character. Benancio didn't plan ahead this, you know, the next time that somebody breaks my window, I'm going to respond like this. No. What he did was he kept filling himself with biblical godly thoughts to the point that when someone did him wrong, Anger and hatred wasn't his response because he was being squished. He was being squeezed. And what was inside of him, what had he filled himself with? He had filled himself with a heart for the people of those villages. And so when one of those people squeezed him, what came out? The passion and desire for them to know the love of Christ. And what he saw was how needy that person must be to think that their, their 
appropriate behavior, the appropriate response to his evangelism was to try to hit him with a rock. Psalms chapter 119 verse 11 says, I have hidden your word in my heart so that I might not sin against you. If you and I desire to win the people who are close to us, we need to hide God's word in our heart. We have to recognize, if I'm going to win the people closest to me, they are going to see what's there. They, I can't win them with the Romans road by memorizing that. You may have an opportunity someday, and we'll talk about praying for those opportunities. You may have an opportunity to pick the fruit that someone else labored for. But when it's your turn to labor, you have to fill your heart with, that, with, with God's word. It says, your word have I hidden in my heart. Why? Because what happens when you have your heart filled with God's word? That's when you don't sin against him. That's when you don't sin against him. Matthew chapter 5, verse 13 to 15 says, You are the salt of the earth. But if salt loses its savor, with what shall it be salted? It is no longer good for anything but to be thrown out and trodden underfoot by men. You are the light of the world, a city that is set on a hill that cannot be hidden, nor do men light a lamp and put it under a grain measure or, or a basket, a, a cover. No, they put it on a lampstand and it gives light to all who are in the house. We're the salt of the earth. How many of you have ever accidentally, like, put too much salt on something? I mean, you know, maybe, maybe it was April Fool's and someone unscrewed the lid and you went to put it on your eggs and you just, you know, dumped the whole bottle or, or whatever the case. Salt is radically different than food. It is, it, the, the, the taste, the texture, everything about it is very different than food. And you do not want a mouthful of salt. It is so different. Just a little bit is a contrast to food. And that's what God compares us to. He says, you and I should be different. We need to be the light in the dark. We need to be the salt on the food. We need to be different. How are we genuinely different? When we fill our hearts with God's word. We fill our hearts with God's word. Luke chapter 6 verse 30 says, Give to everyone who asks of you, and from him who takes away your goods, do not ask them again. And as you desire that men should do to you, you do also to them likewise. For if you love those who love you, what thanks do you have? For sinners also love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what thanks do you have? For sinners also do the same. And if you lend to those who you have, from whom you have hope to receive, what thanks do you have? For sinners also lend to sinners to receive as much again. But love your enemies and do good and lend hoping for nothing in return. And your reward shall be great, and you shall be the sons of the highest, for he is kind to the un, 
thankful and to the evil. Therefore, be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. Give to the person who takes from you. Love those who hate you. Turn the other cheek. All of those things are very counterintuitive. How many agree? But God is saying, fill yourself with my treasure. Be, be like Benancio. Be so full of God's perspective that when you're squeezed, something unexpected comes out. See, those are the moments. Those are the moments that change lives. When people see us behave counterintuitively, counterculturally, when people see kindness from us when the person we're kind to doesn't deserve it, that's what wins them to the Lord. That's the difference. Can anybody, just with a raise of hands, I'm not going to make you come up here and tell. But how many of you can remember a time when you saw someone behave counterintuitively? That is, exemplify that kind of behavior. How many of you remember seeing that? And it stands out. Anybody here willing to raise their hand and say, I, I remember seeing that and it resulted in me coming to Christ? Anybody there? I see some hands. Some say, man, I saw somebody walking it out, and that's why you're here today. How powerful is that? When we will, it is my prayer that every one of you get the opportunity someday to, to pick the fruit right off the tree, to, to be like that first verse, where, or not quite the first one, but the third verse that we read, like that, that person who was able to, to harvest where someone else had labored. But all of us have the opportunity every day to labor. All of us have that opportunity. And let me just say, when you know what you're doing, when you're doing it on purpose, it makes it feel so much better when you understand, when you recognize, you know what? This is making a difference. I, what we just read, Luke chapter 6, verse 36, make, stands out to me because he says, therefore, be merciful. When he sums all that up, when he, he gets done saying, you know, give to him who takes away, love those who hate you, and then he sums it up. He says, therefore, because of all of that, how, how sinners, they do all that thing when, when, when it's convenient for them, but you need to do it even when it's not. Therefore, be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. What is mercy? You know, mercy is, is giving forgiveness. We should be forgiven forgivers. Say it with me. Say, I am a forgiven forgiver. When we recognize, man, I have been forgiven, therefore I am going to forgive. 
When I have a right to be frustrated, be angry, I'm going to remember someone had a right to be frustrated and angry with me, and they relinquished it. That was God. I want to close by, by repeating something that I said last week. Um, remind me, how many of you guys were not here last week? Okay, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bear with me the rest of you. I'm going to repeat just a little bit more than I would otherwise. Two of my absolute all-time favorite scriptures for evangelism, for winning the lost, are these following scriptures. Okay, today we talked about winning the people who are closest to us. And that doesn't have a shortcut. It's just walking out counter-cultural, counter-intuitive love of God. And when we are that example, when they see in our lives that example, that is the labor that can and does and will result in a harvest. Maybe you'll be fortunate enough to be the person who, who's there the day that they accept Jesus into his, their heart. Perhaps you'll do all that labor and they'll show up at a church service someday and somebody like me will just give an invitation and they'll come down. But it won't be because of the preacher. It'll be because of what you did, of the labor that you spent in their lives. But the two verses that really stand out to me for someone who says, I want to, to lead people to the Lord. I want to have an opportunity to do that. The first one is Colossians chapter 4, verse 2 and 3. It says, it's Paul talking to the people of that city, explaining to them how to pray. He says, continue in prayer and watch in it with thanksgiving, praying together about us also. So he's telling them, I want you to pray then he says, that God may open to us a door of the word to speak the mystery of the gospel for which I have been bound. He says, pray that God would open doors. How many of you think he was talking about metal doors, wooden doors? No. No, he was talking about opportunities. He was talking about opportunities. I shared just a little bit earlier about the, the man who I ran into from Australia, who asked me. That day I prayed. I said, God, give me opportunities to share the gospel. And sure enough, I end up talking to this guy who figures out I'm a Christian and just says to me, what do you believe about God? How many of you recognize that's a door? Now here's the fun part. We don't have to just wait around for doors to come. Paul is telling us you have a right to ask for those doors to be open. You have a right to ask for those doors to be open. Smith Wigglesworth um, was an evangelist, and earlier, before he became a well-known evangelist, um, he was a plumber. And when he became saved, he got radically saved, and he wanted to do what the Bible said. And so he tells how during his lunch break, he would go to the park and he would pray and say, God, send me someone. Now, Scripture says it is biblical to pray that prayer. He did something extra. He said, send me to someone close to death. 
Now, I don't see that example in Scripture, but I don't know why you can't. And he tells about a, a day when he spent almost his whole lunch break there and, and didn't feel a Holy Spirit connecting him, sending him to anybody, and he thought that you know, it was going to be a waste of a day. And then someone came by in a cart, and he felt like that's the one. So he, he went up, and he said, hey, you know, do you mind if I, I talk to you for a minute? He says, as long as you can walk with me, that's fine. And he shared with that person. That person was saved. We understand he was picking the fruit but not doing all the labor. And that person died three days later in an accident. I told that story to a group of, of, of teenagers that I was preaching this similar message to. And I'd said, I double-dog dare you to pray for doors. And one teenage girl here in West Michigan took me up on it. She prayed. But she added Smith Wigglesworth's little thing. And I'm not telling you you're going to pray and kill people. I want you to understand that. She prayed, God, open doors for me. Open a door to someone who is close to eternity. She was working at McDonald's. One of the girls that she worked with, God opened a door. She was able to lead that person to Christ. And two days later, she was in a car accident. She had prayed for a door, and God gave it to him. I shared last week about this, this same individual who I prayed that opportunity. And, well, let me, let me go to the second verse before I finish my story about the guy from Australia. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 19. Many of you are like, well, <laughs> if I pray for a door, then I have to say something. And that's pretty scary. That's why I like chapter 6, verse 19 and 20 of Ephesians. It says, and pray for me that utterance may be given to me. Again, Paul is telling people how to pray for him. These are biblical prayers. He says, pray for me that utterance or words would be given to me that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am ambassador in bonds so that, it may, that I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. See, Paul, who wrote the majority of the New Testament, he still said, would you please pray for me that I get the words? Because Paul understood something. It's not about Paul. It's about the Holy Spirit. He can give you those words. You have a right to pray for doors to be opened. You have a right to pray for words. The one thing you do have to do is open your mouth. He said, pray that when I open my mouth... I would have those words and that I would have the boldness to speak them as I ought. God will give you those words. And I, and I shared last week the, the, the end of that story with a gentleman. <clears throat> I shared with him the simple gospel. And, and he just, he looked at me. His eyes got big. He said, you know, I, I've heard that I was going to hell before, but I never heard that. Says, that makes sense. I need to study this. Then he goes, oh my. He says, you don't know this. He says, but right before I met you, I was walking through Paris. I went into the Cathedral of Notre Dame, that famous uh, building where the, the story of the Hunchback of Notre Dame takes place. And there's beautiful... Um, paintings on the walls and, and these beautiful stained glass windows, this big building. He says, I went in there 
And there were candles all around, and I lit one of those candles, and I prayed, God, if you're real, send me a sign. I think you're that sign. <laughs> now, how many of you would say, now, I don't really want to run up to somebody on the street and start witnessing to them, but if somebody had just prayed to be sent someone, I'd like to be that someone. How many of you, you'd be up for that? Here's the deal. There are people in West Michigan praying that prayer every day. The Bible says that the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. What that says to me is that if I will pray these prayers, these biblical prayers, God will answer them. If I ask for a door, he'll open one. If I ask for the words, he'll give them to me. That's my challenge to you again. And I'm repeating that set of scriptures from last week because I can't talk about evangelism without bringing those two verses up. It's just, I love it. I have a biblical right to ask that God opens doors. I have a biblical right to ask that he gives me those words. And there are people all around here. I do not know who, I do not know where, I do not know when, but he does. And they are saying things like, God, if you're real, would you send someone? to talk to me. God, I just, if, if you're real, send me someone today. God will open that door. You don't have to blast through a wall. God will open a door. 